So before we begin here, I just want to test the sound system here, and I also want to, uh, I'm just kind of getting over a cold, so I am apologize if I end up, uh, <clears throat> what, uh, kind of not ringing the place in some way with the microphone. Maybe it's not supposed to work. <laughs> they are meditating, aren't you? 70% in your body and 30% in where? So, um, I'm going to be talking tonight, um, uh, I'm calling this kind of the river of fear. Uh, First, um, as I start here, I'd like to uh, acknowledge something. Usually when I sit to give a talk, um, I acknowledge uh, first uh, really the Buddha who um, sat on a throne. which was really called the throne of fearlessness, uh, which is on the other side of the river. And um, uh, I honor that, that place. And, um, and also all the beings that come uh, besides yourself to come uh, to hear the Dharma, all the kind of devas and maybe the little the tree people out there and, and uh, Dear spirits and all uh, types of um, <clears throat> creatures unseen to us that also uh, need to um, experience and be part of the Dharma. So I'll start with it. This is a piece by Rumi. Most people guard against <clears throat> going into the fire and end up in it. Friday, I was on my way down here uh, to teach, and and, uh, I I fell ill. And um, I went to bed early. I got up at 5.30, and I live up in Nevada City, and it's about a three-hour drive down here, and I was going to teach a day long before this started Saturday evening. So I was putting in my 16, 17-hour day. And in the middle of the night, I woke up, and uh, I began to cough, and I hadn't felt well at all that day. And somehow, uh, I was laying in bed, and I woke up, and somehow the way I was turned or whatever, when I coughed, it was like a croup. It was just dry, and I couldn't breathe. And I I jumped up out of bed, and I was going to get a glass of water and get to the bathroom, and and I fell out of bed, got just a couple steps out, and I I was gasping for breath. And uh, there was this moment uh, of fear, a really strong sense of fear, uh, not having breath.
And so uh, being at the retreat here, uh, it's been kind of interesting watching this kind of build. And for me, it's been kind of a process of coming in, uh, having kind of fallen apart, and then slowly uh, kind of coming together in some way. Uh, and the first night, just uh, listening to Sylvia talk about uh, kind of the intention of being here for those of you here, you know, three or six weeks, uh, what um, um, a noble, noble um, undertaking uh, that each one of you have taken on here. Such a noble piece. Then Guy talked about uh, renunciation, this uh, uh, honoring this life that we've come together in, in really, uh, really, it's just really being simple, uh, in sitting and walking, uh, eating and sleeping. Uh, that's it. It's the whole ball game here. Um, uh, in the outer world. Then last night, Eugene so uh, uh, succinctly put uh, this piece about um, openness and uh, acceptance and then finding this intimacy within us. Last night I went to bed and uh, sometime in the middle of the night, I woke up. And uh, I realized there was something in the way that I needed to talk about. I first had ta- thought about talking about the body tonight, how important that is. And I think Eugene, when he talked last night about, uh, in, this, in these talks, of being 70% in your body and 30% in the seeing and the hearing and the thinking uh, is correct, not only for these talks, but for our whole time here. But something else struck me that um, what uh, is kind of my own voice saying, I need to speak about this tonight. And um, Fear is an awesome, uh, awesome uh, kind of um, what? Uh, first of all, you look at the uh, creatures, all creatures out there. And they all, whether it's you know on a microscope and the little teeny amoebas and you put something there, they all kind of jump back. Or you go into the ocean and you see a little... Um, uh, see an enemy or something, and you put your finger up, and it pulls back. And part of our nature is this uh, staying safe in our ability to um, uh, not be harmed. And so there's a natural um, what uh, need for the fear for self-preservation.
But there's another piece that the Buddha found to be true, that there's also the ability to um, be free of it uh, and not be ruled uh, exclusively by fear itself. And I just had this piece last night when I woke up. I realized uh, here are, what, 70-some people in the room. And the thing I'm aware of, the thing I am deeply aware of, uh, that everyone here, everyone here, uh, has experienced deep, deep fear. You know? And that in so many ways, it is what uh, brings us to the path. And I want to share a story tonight uh, that I have never um, I've never shared uh, openly or in, um, in my talks and stuff, simply because it was a piece that I was afraid to um, what about shame and uh, my past? Um, is it sound good enough? Okay. Um. When I was growing up, I. Uh, sort of grew up in Europe and, and um, <clears throat> uh, uh, lived in Switzerland, went to boarding school and um, what kind of ran with the jet set from Gestad to Davos to uh, Samaritz to, uh, you know, riding around the back of Rolls Royces and, and uh, yachts in the Mediterranean. And uh, when I was 18, I was kind of a hip kid. And uh, when I was 18 years old, uh, I was in Paris. And um, uh, I, at, this was this middle 60s, about 65 or 66, and I got, uh, I was into smoking hashish. And so I went into the Tunisian quarters of, um, in Paris uh, to score some hashish. And I ended up in a situation where I was with uh, about five or six Tunisian men and, and uh, uh, well, very simply what happened was uh, I uh, made a huge mistake in judgment and being 18 not knowing uh, what was happening. And I ended up and they pulled knives on me and uh, one of them took me into a room, and, and uh, I was raped. And um, just I, I need to finish the story because it was it was it was one of these places where fear was uh, so intense. And here I was, eighteen year old kid. I kind of I had a background that uh, this didn't relate to anything that I understood about human beings. I was a kind of a trusting type. And um, when they took me out of this room, it was kind of in, the, in, the, in these sort of back quarters in Paris, 
is, uh, I don't know how it happened, but there was a police van, and they put this hash in my pocket, and they put me out in front of the police van, and the police picked me up. And I was put in the back of this van, and suddenly there was, there was this moment as they were pushing me out, and I knew uh, what, was, uh, uh, what was occurring. And in that moment, uh, I believe that was the moment that I really began uh, my spiritual search. You know, uh, suddenly I was simply, uh, my life didn't mean anything anymore. And before that, I never knew that there was any difference. You know. And that uh, unique awareness uh, opened this yearning uh, to be free. And I ended up being put in this van and driven around that night. Um, I guess it was for a couple hours, and one of the things was I had an American passport, and, and they, I spoke French well enough so they didn't know I was an American, fortunately. And um, I ended up in a, a little kind of hotel in the Gare du Nord, which is a, a uh, one of the train stations in Paris, one of these really funky hotels. And I went upstairs, and it was like third or fourth floor, and you know, the bathroom way down the hall. And all I remember was going in this room and going into a fetal position and staying for several days and not drinking, not eating. And um, uh, letting go of a life I once had, what I thought. Uh, it was like all my, the worldly messengers came at once, once about uh, what life was about. And I took off then, and people, you know, as I spent, I mean, I came to the States, they hit Ashbury, and kind of went through that here, and, and then my mother uh, died, and I was able to have a little money, so I went on to India. And I spent eight years in Asia. And I think back of... of um, uh, you know, things that people think are remarkable, people living in caves and going out and, and uh, uh, being barefooted. Uh, and I had dysentery for 12 years, you know, and I've had hepatitis twice, I've had typhoid fever, I've had dengue fever, all of that. And sleeping on, um, you know, just a mat on concrete most of the time. Um, you, you know, it's, and I think about it now, and it's just like the world switched. And yet, it doesn't seem foreign to me, it doesn't seem different. Because a piece, when one begins to um, face somehow uh, the fear that's almost inherent in all of us, and I know the suffering in this room, it's, it's, just, I don't know, it seems to just go with the territory of life, you know, uh, people who have lost their parents, people who have lost their children, uh, loved ones who have, uh, they've left us or betrayed us in some way. Uh, it um, is part of the territory here. But somehow, and I, there's this kind of mythological river, and it's all I can kind of describe to you that somehow most people, uh, there's this river of fear, 
and there is this land that we live in, and it's, it will call this land uh, separation. And most of us, you know, we don't really want to get near the river. Uh, matter of fact, we don't even want to build uh, because we have to deal with it, any kind of levees or anything uh, to hold back the river in any way. And floods come. Uh, and uh, then they go, and we just kind of clean up after the mess. But at some point, one recognizes that there is a possibility. There is truly a possibility to step uh, into that river. And I have a piece here I'd like to read to you. This is um, It's about um, a woman, anyway, who writes uh, a piece called, it's just simply called Through. And um, this is about uh, a woman who lost her nine-year-old son in a sudden and tragic accident. Her then 11-year-old daughter spiraled down into the labyrinth of pain. For years, it permeated and penetrated her life. When she began to turn the corner, she wrote the most revealing piece on the journey of awakening called Through. There is this thing that I've been going around for years, this thing I must go through. I have gone to the left of it and to the right of it. I've climbed over it and tunneled under it. But unless you go through it, it won't take you where you want to be. You'll end up someplace else, which is where I find myself once again. This ritual passage through is something I have feared and sought to avoid for years. And it can be avoided for lifetimes even. But eventually we all must make this journey through. I realize this, I realize this now. I feel it even physically. It's time. There will continue to be excuses that I could use to abort the decision. There will always be excuses, especially for imaginative and rebellious mind. But I am committed now. I know the reward will be great. I have always known this. Just I have always known that I would make it to this light I seek that lies at the mythical but very real other side. It is hard not to judge myself harshly for trying so long and so laboriously to overcome this obstacle by doing everything, everything, except going through it. But then again, that spirit that drove me to this hot sands of Crete, the misty streets of Munich and the icy waters of Alaska, is the same spirit that brings me to where I am today, which is face to face with this thing I have run for from so long. And although I have not yet gone through it, there is a small particle of peace that comes from simply looking into it. It is ever so slightly smaller than I thought. It is definable, not infinite. I cannot deny the feelings of defeat that I have not, for not having found a clever way around this. 
There is part of me that feels that if I were just a little smarter, I could make it. And still I feel like there are crafty people out there who have made it successfully, quote, around, even though I know that's probably not true. Nonetheless, I still, ma- I still manage to feel inferior to this fictitious, these fictitious demigods who have beaten the system. I wanted with all my heart to be one of them, but I guess I will just have to sit and settle for simply getting there, even if I do that, to trudge through it in the regular old way. So, somehow, uh, in all this, uh, we have to, uh, somehow there's this river of fear and we've spent all this time kind of on this other side in this place of separateness. And uh, we're going to have to step into the water. And here is a place uh, where one of the things last night when I woke up, I realized somehow... Uh, As teachers, um, um, that there has to be a safe place. And that somehow knowing that that we all go into this water. It's not something that just one person goes through. We all go through it. Uh, And that each of you has uh, your own story, your own um, it's almost as if your own separateness that you have to carry to the river. I think when I first went to Asia, I had this hope that there was this practice that would free me from having to ultimately do this again. And that's not what this practice is about, by the way. Uh, It's actually the willingness to, uh, to go into it and uh, recognize that somehow um, by going through it, as she said, it's not infinite, it's actually definable. And it's in a lot of ways I found it sort of like a spiral that it actually gets smaller and uh, the moments that we uh, give ourselves permission to to feel um, uh, and come in direct contact 
with what it's like. I sometimes uh, we have created like you know the people in their in kind of bubbles that uh, have some kind of um, <clears throat> immune disease that somehow uh, through our fear we create those bubbles and it separates us from what is here and uh, it means that somehow that in that river you have to uh, kind of allow yourself to um, to know your anger uh, to uh, experience your lust and your dislikes and your wantings. But simply just to go through them, it's not something we can just get rid of. I read this piece earlier today uh, that uh, Pema Chodron has kind of her great book of When Things Fall Apart. Things fall apart in a kind of a testing and also a kind of healing. We think that the point is to pass the test or to overcome the problem. But the truth is that things don't really get solved. They come together and they fall apart. It's just like that. The healing comes from letting there be room for all this to happen, room for grief, for relief, for misery, for joy. So this is in a lot of ways I'm just trying to welcome uh, your deepest, um, uh, these places that uh, <clears throat> Eugene talked about last night, the, the, this piece about intimacy, uh, the things we keep hidden or secret. And I felt that that was one of the pieces of the story I told you was a piece because I, I, I for 20 years, even in my practice, it's not something I wanted to share because I was uh, shamed. And, uh, you know, why wasn't I strong enough? There were all the whys, or why did I, you know, how could I be there at that moment, or all the whys and shoulds. And yet, it's the thing that started me, that put me uh, on a path uh, that uh, has forced me uh, not to complete it, but just to, again, experience the fear and allow the wonder uh, when uh, we are faced with it to be not, uh, usually uh, we see it as a problem, but in this kind of warriorship here, it actually can be seen as an opportunity, uh, opportunity to... um, Make contact with all the different pieces within you, you know.
this is a poem I kind of rewrote this afternoon uh, for you. Uh, and um, it's called The Split. Skin, bone, muscle, blood, you who in your youth I betrayed, abandoning you for my stories, ideas, dreams. Leaving you in some dumpster in the Haight-Ashbury, hoping no one would notice. But you, like a sly fox, shadowed me to India, barefooted, hair matted and greasy, bowels bubbling and gurgling, waiting again and again to be noticed. Finally sitting down, you right next to me, shyly mirroring my every move. First you scolded me, tearing at my knees, crushing my back, bringing me down so my face was on your floor, wanting so bad to dig you out of my cells and throw you away. But you claimed your rightful home. Washed in tears, we walk hand in hand towards the precipice now. So what does it take to get in the river to uh, this separateness uh, and feel uh, somehow, um, sometimes maybe it's the first time to feel safe, uh, that you can um, step in and yes, it's, it is uh, actually, the water's cold and it's swift. Uh, and you can't hold on to uh, uh, whatever it was. That's your story. And actually, you can't really carry those stories to the other side. But you can go to the other side. It's just simply um, this uh, sitting uh, so simply uh, with the breath. And there's moments where, um, or sensations, uh, where there's not, where this comparing mind uh, trying to uh, always make it comfortable and control how it is, uh, is just let go of. And these are just moments. It's not uh, big. But we keep working on that. Slowly, slowly, uh, actually working our way from that village uh, far away from the river. Uh, and hopefully in, in this place, uh, this place that you are now, um, 
You know, it doesn't really matter whether uh, there were whether the faucets here were gold-plated or whether it was just cold running water and there was uh, just a mat there uh, on a piece of, on a concrete. Uh, you carry, it's the same, uh, whatever, that you carry this into this place. Maybe just uh, the job here. And by the way, uh, one of the things in crossing the river that's um, what part of the uniqueness of the river <clears throat> is I think when you first get to the bank of the river, the stories are huge. Uh, they carry all this impact of. Uh, I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm afraid. And somewhere out of the mist, and this is really the Buddha speaking, this Buddha nature within you, uh, saying, uh, fear is just that. It arises like a mist and holds us in captivity in the stories. And when you walk out into the river, there is uh, the mist which stays behind you with that story. And so as you cross, uh, the story can't come with you. It stays on the other side. It's interesting, even uh, one can cross the river. Um, we can't stay there. Uh, but turning around and looking, uh, one sees that there's uh, others uh, always uh, struggling. Uh, some of them still held with the fog of their stories and how, uh, how it's captured them and, and held them and, and uh, uh, keeps them out of here and now somehow. And one gladly turns around and goes back across the river. You know. uh, and I think that's what Pema Chodron was talking about. It's not about, it's just as simply about falling apart and uh, coming together again and falling apart again. And so we keep coming up and it's good news. It's really good news when that fear arises, and uh, uh, it, it's not something to turn away from. But on, in this practice, it's something to turn towards, uh, because it, in this moment, 
can give you a possibility uh, directly uh, of what is here uh, that is uh, veiled from us so much of the time. When you're living in the city, uh, far away from the river, there are certain uh, rules I thought you might like to know about, and uh, the results of those. You live by these simple rules. Life is perilous. There is more here than I can cope with. I must cope with it all to survive. I have no resources and few options. And so it's not surprising that someone far away from the river uh, is filled with anxiety, uh, feelings of being overwhelmed, intense, fearful, and moments of hopelessness accompany one there. I remember a moment uh, that um, one was the journey uh, uh, of that moment of walking onto the street uh, in, in the Tunisian quarters of Paris there and probably for me the first time of that there was only the present. Uh, the past uh, was something I was not. In the future, I couldn't see. Um, I was in a retreat and I never know if my teacher actually um, looked, I know he looked at me and whether it was part of the talk or whether it was said for me, but he looked at me in the middle of his talk and said, your face is like a mask. And in that moment, um, uh, there wasn't fear. And over now, it's been 30 years, has given me such confidence that um, we all, we all, uh, in any moment, uh, can know that we are not that fear. You know, it is available. This is um, from Krishnamurti. 
It's not that you must be free from fear. The moment you try to free yourself from fear, you create resistance against fear. Resistance in any form does not end fear. What is needed rather than running away or controlling or suppressing or any other resistance is understanding fear. That means watch it. Learn about it. Come directly into contact with it. We are to learn about fear, not how to escape from it, not how to resist it through courage, and so on. So I'll let you um, find your, uh, this is our practice, finding our own clouds that hold us on this bank of separateness. And I'd like to just finish here with uh, a piece that's uh, that's actually from Nelson Mandela's uh, 1984 inaugural speech, but it's uh, a quote that he took uh, from someone else. Uh, But it's uh, kind of a great piece here. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small doesn't serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It is not just in some of us. It is in everyone. And as we let our light shine, we unconsciously give others permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. So I wish this for you, simply because uh, in your time and practice here, uh, the liberation from uh, the bondage of the fear that holds us in so many ways, uh, when we break those shackles, then truly uh, there is a a deep sense. uh, When I called it the town of separateness, this island on the other side of uh, of the river of fear, 
that uh, there is non-separateness. There is the quality of interconnectedness with its very fundamentals, uh, which come from um, non-harming and a place of uh, caring for oneself as one cares for others in the sense of loving-kindness. That is uh, the destiny of becoming free. So let's just sit for a moment. 